Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to have a standalone sermon on how we can respond in a Christ-like manner in times like these. As we all know, our lives have been disrupted. Um, it's a time of potential fear. It's a time where we are either underreacting or overreacting. But we know that things are changing during these times. Many of us, there's school cancellations. We're concerned about our jobs. We're concerned about family members who may be vulnerable. And we want to just have a Christ-like mindset through all of this because we know that there's going to be suffering in this world. We know that we live in a broken world, but that still does not make it easy when things like pandemics happen. So I want us to focus on an encouraging scripture during these times, Romans 12, 12, which is rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Because we all find ourselves in different places during this time. Some of us are underreacting. Some of us are overreacting. And we both have, or both those groups have different tendencies according to our personalities. What I hope for us is that we operate and walk in a mentality that is Christ-like so we can serve the community, be there for each other, be constant in prayer, and even find hope in this time of what we could call a time of trial and maybe even tribulation, but definitely a time of difficulty. And I want to start you off, as many of you who know me and hear me preach much, with a parable, a parable of the falling weightlifter. This past week, actually it was two weeks ago, I was working out and I heard a scream in the middle of the gym. And I looked over and I saw a man had fallen and he was having a seizure. He had hit a weight bench as he fell and he was bleeding and I run, ran towards the situation and many people did. Many people ran towards the help. There were two nurses who ran right up to him and put his head on a mat and lifted him up and told him it was going to be okay and they put one leg over the other and were saying, you're going to make it through this, speaking life into him. I was actually amazed at their poise in this situation. And other people gathered around and asked, you know, what can I do? Some people made a call to 911 so the paramedics could get there. Others grabbed paper towels to clean up the blood. I joined the crowd and I began to pray for that man. A charismatic brother that I don't think too many people would have noticed snuck around the back, grabbed the man's ankle and began to pray for him as he had seizures. And I saw that man. And all of a sudden the seizures began to stop. Now, the nurses were leading the care and we were all praying and people, were, at least those of us who believe were praying and we were caring for him. And the man stopped having those seizures and began to breathe better. And there was a sigh of relief as he began to get his wits back. And you saw that charismatic brother get up like he just healed the sick. And it was strangely close to the time he was praying to that guy got better. So who knows how God worked through that prayer at that time. But that crowd all around gathered to help in a time of crisis. This man was hurting. He was having a seizure. He needed help. It was unexpected. It disrupted our gym life, but we ran over to help. Now, that's how I want Restoration Rotors to be in this time of potential fear, of a pandemic. 
I want us to be people who are helpful, who are contributing to the solution, who are caring for people, who are praying, who are helping people in need, because not everyone did that in the gym. There were people who didn't even stop their routine. One guy was on the tricep machine. He was working out, and he didn't even break stride. He continued his routine like people are overreacting, caring for this man. There were some people that headed for the door. They said, get me out of here. I want nothing to do that with that. Those would be our underreactors, people who are working out saying, oh, the media is just trying to get us scared. So they're not really contributing to helping. Rather, they're mocking those who are and trying to warn people to prevent things. And you have our overreactors, which some of us may be, where we just panic and we want to, you know, quarantine ourselves um, from the world for the next six months. And we want, we're panicking. And I would ask you not to have a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind during that time. See, wherever you are, whether you're overreacting, whether you're underreacting, or whether you're part of the crowd who's helping, I want us to all be thinking of how we can grow in caring for our neighbors, loving our neighbors during this time, so we can show off Christ during this time and lead people to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation and trials, and to be constant in prayer. So that's what we're going to focus on today, really, how we can respond well during these times. And I want to begin here with our scripture. Paul was writing this scripture to the Romans. And the Romans, I'm going to use a little liberty with context here today because of what's going on with the coronavirus. But Paul was writing to a people who their lives were disrupted. They were under the pressure of being Christians, the pressure of persecution. They could be jailed. Some of them even lose their lives. Their lives had definitely been disrupted as many had sold their homes to give to the common good, to care for the people of God. They had changed their lives to be on the mission of God. And Paul was saying, rejoice in hope even though life is hard right now. There are trials. Your life is disrupted. Rejoice in hope. And some of us might say, how do I rejoice in hope when there's a national emergency, when I'm concerned about my job, when I maybe even am fighting off paranoia about getting this virus, or I'm in fear about my loved ones. But I still believe in the scriptures enforce and encourage us that we can rejoice in hope even in times of trials and troubles. Now, of course, Paul isn't speaking about the pandemic there, but it's very applicable because he's speaking to people in a broken world. And no matter how good our lives are at any point, people are still dying, people are still suffering, people are still getting sick. And so we live in a broken world. It's only when times like these happen that we realize how frail the world is and we need to hold on to hope, to rejoice in hope. Now, hope, according to the Bible, is much different than the hope that we might be thinking about in our common vernacular. When we hope something, we almost wish it could happen. There's a chance it won't happen, but biblical hope is much different. We rejoice in a hope that one day, upon Christ's return, he will establish a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pandemics, no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow. Those things will be in the past because of King Jesus. And we're convinced of this. We have this hope. We focus not on the temporary suffering, but on the future hope. 
because of the words spoken by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the words of our God. And I just want to share some of those today because it's so therapeutic to think about the future hope by faith of a new heaven and new earth ushered in by King Jesus during times like this. It's just so therapeutic to put our hope to being convinced in the words of Scripture. And that's in Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, I love that, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I love that. Jesus says, write this down. I will make all things new. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sorrow forgotten. Every sickness will be no more. Because I, the Christ, the one seated and enthroned above all things will make all things new. We rejoice in that hope. We're convinced even in suffering, pandemics, sickness, potential fear that God is on the throne. That nothing is out of his control. And we can rest in his care and his love and rejoice in hope. See, rejoicing can also mean having our hearts gladdened. We can have our hearts gladdened during this time, knowing that God is sovereign. He is watching over us in our commonwealth, in our globe, in our friends, in our family. And that he cares for us. And that there's great hope to be found in the gospel. And that's the first thing. I want you to rejoice in hope during these times, even though I know it's hard to throw ourselves on the care of the gospel in the care of King Jesus. Secondly, we intentionally gladden our hearts, of course, during these times. We rejoice in hope, but we want to be patient in these times. We want to be patient in tribulation. So I want to talk about something that's real practical here, because what Paul is talking about is the outworking of patience that is the fruit of the Spirit in times of trouble. What does that look like in our context? When we're surrounded by panic, when we're surrounded by rush. I've seen some videos of people running to grocery stores. It's scary. I'm glad I did my grocery shopping this week because it's getting panicky. People are rushing around. And oftentimes that's rooted in selfishness. We're thinking about self-preservation. We're thinking about how just care for us and those around us when we need to have a broader view of patience for the whole community and all of our neighbors. And this whole text is surrounded in patience action steps. And I just want to talk about two right now that are outworkings of rejoicing and hope and being patient in time of tribulation. So they're patience action steps. The first one is Paul said something that might seem foreign to us as Bostonians. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor during these times. Now, we know how to outdo each other. We want to be stronger. We want to be faster. We want to be more intelligent. We want to one-up each other. That's part of the Boston spirit, if you would. We're very competitive. But we don't hear the Holy Spirit many times speaking to us, outdo each other in honor in times of crisis, in times of trial. Now, what does that look like? It looks like when you look around, we all have many different responses to this. Like I said, there's those who are paranoid and those who are underreacting. And a lot of times the paranoid people aren't considering others and they're putting them into panic. And those who are 
underreacting or mocking those who have any kind of response to this. We need to be very considerate of one each other and honor each other. We can do this on social media, right? With not feeding the frenzy of mockery or paranoia. We can do that very simply by looking at our social media habits and honoring each other. When our politicians speak, whether it's the president or those in Senate or Charlie Baker or our mayor in Boston, we can honor them by not critiquing and complaining about what they're doing, but praying for them and honoring them. Say, thank you for giving your time to lead us through that. Let me outdo honoring our mayor. Let me outdo honoring our governor, knowing that they are people who feel the weight of this and want to lead us well through that. How can we feed and honor and outdo our neighbor by honoring those who are politicians? by honoring those who have different responses to us. I want us to really think of our responses in that way. Outdo honoring each other during this time. That's an outworking of patience. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, seek to show hospitality. So two or three weeks ago, I saw this coming. So I said to my wife, I said, I know it's in China now and it's spreading throughout. And I said, no panic. I just want to be prepared as a husband, as a dad. I said, each week I want you to go to the grocery store and part of your shop and just get three extra gallons of water and get a few extra canned goods and a few extra rolls of toilet paper, little by little, so we have up to two weeks of things we need because I think people are going to start panicking and the shelves are going to be empty. We probably should have got some hand sanitizer, but I wasn't that ahead of the game. But each week she picked up a little, a few things just so we could have supplies, a little extra Moltrin if someone wasn't feeling well, things like that, just to be a good husband and a dad. I wanted to leave that. And my wife understood I wasn't trying to panic, but prepare us. And so this past week I said, I don't like going to the grocery store. I hate shopping, any kind of shopping. So I said, I'll go to the grocery store with you to help you get the last few things here. So we went to Shaw's right in Wakefield and it wasn't too packed and, um, my responsibility was getting some canned goods and water. That was an easy mission for me. And so I went into the aisle, and I saw a 10 for 10 on kidney beans and mixed vegetables. And I'm grabbing those kidney beans, low-sodium kidney beans, and I'm putting them in my carriage. And I said to myself, ooh, those kidney beans are getting low. I said, I should get another 10. And I said to myself, that's inconsiderate. I said, I thought about this, and me and my wife talked about it, that let's only get what we need because we're part of a community, and we don't want to be part of the problem, a part of the panic, a part of taking advantage like some people do and buy toilet paper. And I saw someone trying to sell a roll of toilet paper for $100 in Missouri. That is not having a Christ-like mentality that is patient and caring for our neighbors. We need to be vigil. Only get what we need. Think about the most vulnerable. If you're going to have elective surgeries, move them so people who are sick, maybe who are elderly, can have those bed so we don't run out of practical things like ventilators and respirators. Let's care for people who are on the front lines and who are vulnerable. Let's not give in to the panic. Let's take only what we need and even what we have. Let's think about how we can give it to others to really care for people to show that hospitality. See, patience in trial is not just thinking about ourselves. It's not just thinking about our family, but thinking about the whole community, about all the saints in the body of Christ, and how we can gather to give more people, or how to more people, or how we can even restrict ourselves and sacrifice so we're caring for the broader community, our towns, our state, our nation. That's very important that we are the salt of the earth right now, and we work to preserve 
and care for those around us. So those are two ways we can outwork patience right now as a church community to care for those around us. And finally, I want us to think about constant prayer. See, prayer is powerful and prayer is effective even for pandemics. Prayer is powerful. It changes things. And I want changes things. I want us to think in two categories. The first one, let's be praying that those who have the coronavirus are healed and that we stop the spread of this. Let's be praying for those who are on the front lines, our nurses, our doctors, those in the medical field. Many people in the medical field are part of the Restoration Road family. Let's be praying for them. That's the first thing I want to really, really ask you to do, constant prayer. I want to ask you to set your phones this week for a reminder at noontime to pray for one minute, to pray for one minute that the spread of this virus stops, that those who are sick are healed, and for all those who are on the front lines, our medical staff, our nurses, our doctors, also pray for those who have lost loved ones. You know, 40 or so people have lost their lives just in this nation. I can only, I can't even imagine the pain that people are going through in places like Washington where many elderly, a 30 or so, die. Those were people's parents, people's aunts. And let's be praying for comfort during this time for those people. I want to ask you to do that at noon each day, set a reminder, and let's be praying as a church family in one spirit for this virus to stop spreading. And secondly, during this pandemic, many people see the frailty of this world. They see that it's broken. See, we can be distracted sometimes that the world is broken when we are getting what we want out of life. If, if our money's doing well or we have the vacations we wanted or we're, you know, getting more material things, we can be distracted that this world is broken. But when things like this happen, we are reminded that this all is temporary and that we're in a fallen and broken world with as much suffering. That causes us to react in two ways. One is we blame God and we get further away from God. I ask you not to have that reaction. The other reaction is we realize that those things we were living our life for were not worthy of us living our whole lives for. Things that are passing away. And we hunger for God. We even start to think about the frailty of everything. We start to think of our own brokenness as people, that we might not be living our lives right, and we need to get right with God, if you would. I want you to think this week, you're praying for one to find restoration in Jesus. I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to be praying for them. I want you to be starting gospel conversations where you can bring people to Christ and the restoration that he offers, because only he is sufficient in these times. Only he can give the answers we're looking for. Only he can bring peace and rest and patience and joy and hope to the soul. I want you to really think this is a time to meet people where they are afraid, to meet people where they have questions, to meet people in their brokenness and really bring the gospel to bear that they might find hope in Christ during these times. See, Restoration Road, I just want to finish the final chapter of my story I told at the beginning, the parable of the fallen weightlifter. Some of you might be saying, what happened to that guy? You never told us. 
As I was driving into the gym the other day, I saw him leaving and heading home. It was a sunny day. He kind of had a smile on his face as he walked out. I could kind of see the scar from where he had fallen and hit his head. But what he did is he didn't let fear have the final word. He didn't say, I fell at the gym, I had a seizure, I'm embarrassed, I don't want that to happen again. He went right back in the gym and he kept working out. The time passed. And he wasn't afraid anymore. And I'm sure he got medical care. And that passed and everything was back to normal. The sun was shining on his face, he was enjoying life. I prayed for him that day when that happened, I hoped that he has found restoration in Jesus. But that's what's going to happen with this pandemic. It's going to get, it's going to pass. God is control, is in control. Everything is going to be okay. But we want to be Christ-like and respond like Jesus during this time. We want to rejoice in hope. We want to be patient in tribulation. And we want to be in constant prayer. Because God can bring good even from the ruins. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to pray for those things we're hoping for. People are having many different reactions to this. For those who are afraid, would you calm them, Lord, and let them know that you are in control, Father. For those who are underreacting and mocking others, I pray that you would help them join the crowd to help. And I pray for all those who are serving on the front lines, Lord, protect them. And I ask you, Father, in Massachusetts, the death toll as of now, the death toll is zero. And I pray it stays that way, Father. Give our leaders wisdom. Help us to care like you care, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.